Heavenly Father, we want to bless your name for another opportunity to have our meeting. We want to thank you, Lord, for all that you have been doing with us and through us and in us as we study the book of Haggai. We ask, Lord, that as we continue in our descent towards our conclusion, that, Father, you speak to our hearts. Father, you glorify your name. And Almighty and everlasting God, that you will help us by your Spirit to live out your word in our daily lives. Thank you so much, everlasting Father. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Let's look at Haggai chapter 2, verse 23. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. May the Lord bless the reading of his word in Jesus' name. Amen. In our last meeting, we saw the prophetic symbolism of the signet ring as the authority and identifier of God's power and presence on the earth. We also saw that God's signet ring is a mark of God's authentication of the authority of his word through his children on the earth. Again, we noted that since a signet ring is of such importance, it is never left lying about just for anyone to pick and use. Thus, we noted that the signet ring symbol as used by God spoke of Zerubbabel himself to the extent of God choosing him to lead Judah and the guarantee of God's protection, provision, and prosperity. We also noted that the signet ring symbolism applies to Christ as the anointed of God, the authority of God, and the authentication of God's word. Finally, we noted that the signet ring of God today is the church of God, provided the church is in the mold of the Lord Jesus Christ. To this end, we spoke of the warning of God to the church using Jeconiah's fall from grace and exile into Babylon. You would recall we noted that God said that he had removed Jeconiah as he would remove a signet ring and he had thrown him off to Babylon where he would die. And so God warned the church to be careful of not being like Jeconiah. And having thrown Jeconiah away, he brings Zerubbabel and puts him on as his signet ring. So because Jeconiah acted contrary to God, he was removed from God's presence and delivered to Babylon. Likewise, unless the church acts in tandem with God's word, it may find itself in the hands of the enemy. God forbid. In Haggai chapter 2 verse 23, we'll see that God further said to Zerubbabel, For I have chosen you. Today, we want to see how God makes his choice of the signet ring. How does God choose his signet ring? What is or are the criterion or criteria God uses to choose leaders or people that would be engaged in a specific work? What did God consider when he chose Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, and so on? Was it what they had done before? Was it the strength they possessed? What really is the basis on which God would choose somebody for an assignment or as a leader. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to our fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Moses is saying to Israel here that you were not chosen 
because you were mighty. You were not chosen because you were great. He said, in fact, you were the least of all people. But God had loved you. And the love of God is not because of something that we did. It is such an undeserving thing that it is such a great love. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God chose is his decision to love the world, not because the world did anything right. Indeed, the world is full of sin and sinners, yet God has manifested that love. So we must understand that God makes his choices out of his love, out of his decision, not because of anything that we have done or can do. Indeed, in Romans chapter 9, speaking about God's election or how God chooses people, he spoke about how God chose Jacob over Esau. The Bible says in verse 13 of Romans chapter 9, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And then he goes on and says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. So we see that the love of God is translated in the mercy of God, not in what we have done. What was it that Jacob did that could have endeared God to him? Because these people had not even been born when God said, I have loved Jacob and I have hated Esau. As far as God is concerned, when he's choosing someone, there is a purpose behind his choice of that person. It is in fulfillment of that purpose that God makes his choice. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11, the Bible says that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill. What is the Bible telling us here? He's saying that it is not about strength wisdom, wealth, anything that we possess. It is the sovereignty of God that determines how God makes his choices. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. The crucial thing is that God would choose people who would glorify him and not people who would be glorifying themselves. And so what does God do? God picks somebody who is weak to confound somebody who is strong. He picks somebody that the world considers to be nothing so that he can use it to confound those who think they are something. So God's way of choosing people has very little to do with human capacity, human ability, and so on and so forth. When we look at Samson from the reading of the Bible, Samson was never somebody who had muscles, unlike the way Hollywood had portrayed Samson to be. He was not a muscular person. He was just an everyday Jew. But whenever the Spirit of God came upon him, he was able to do things beyond the capacity of a thousand men put together. And that is how God works. God picks people who are not, and then he uses them to confound the things that are. The Bible tells us that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in ordinary clay pots, that it might be clear to all 
that what is happening is not because of the clay pot, but because of this treasure that is inside the clay pot, because of the power of God, because of the presence of God, because of the glory of God that is present in this clay pot, in these human beings. That is why we see the things that we see. It is therefore noteworthy that no man should glory in the presence of God, because God is the one that puts his spirit inside of us and through his spirit he is able to do his work through us i believe i've used this example before where i mentioned the issue of gloves fitting into hands and the hands of the holy spirit the gloves are you and i and the holy spirit can use the gloves to lift heavy things but the moment the gloves begin to boast he removes the gloves and says, okay go ahead and pick on your own and the gloves can do nothing without the hands the overriding reason for choosing a person or a leader is the purpose that they will serve in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. This is what God said concerning Abraham. I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. God said, I chose Abraham because I want somebody who would command his children, his household, his posterity, to follow the way of the Lord so that they can do what is righteous and then God will now be able to bless Abraham with the promises that he has given to him. So Abraham was chosen so that he can raise a generation of people who will fear God, love God, and follow God. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 12, this is what the Bible says about David's choice by God. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. So God chose David as someone who would lead the children of Israel to great heights. He did not choose David because David was a strong person. Indeed, when David was anointed as king, he was a small boy. He was not even qualified to be in the army of Israel. Yet God chose him over his older brothers who were strong, who were qualified to go into the army, indeed who were in the army itself. Unlike Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 13, the Bible tells us about how Samuel had told Saul that he should wait seven days. Then he, Samuel, would offer the sacrifice and then Saul could go on and fight the battle. But when he waited and he didn't see Samuel, Saul went ahead and offered the sacrifice, something that was not in the purview of kings. It was in the purview of the priests. And Samuel, being a priest, was the one to come and offer the sacrifice. But Saul took it upon himself to do that. And so when Samuel came, he said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. King Saul's problem was his inability to obey. He could not just obey whatever it is that God was telling him. God turned away from Saul because Saul was incapable of obeying simple instructions from God. On another occasion, God sent King Saul to go to Amalek and destroy every one of them, including animals and everything. But when Saul went, he destroyed the weak. He took Agag, the strong. He took the strong animals, destroyed the weak animals, and brought them. And so Samuel said, what is the problem with you, Saul? Why did you disobey? He said, I've obeyed. He said, what do you mean you have obeyed? I'm hearing the sound of bleatings of goats. I'm seeing Agag. God told you to totally annihilate. 
What are you keeping these things for? He said, oh, we got the fat ones because we want to make sacrifice. And Samuel said this to Saul. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Indeed, the Bible tells us, in the book of Hebrews, that when Jesus Christ came, he said, I have come as it is written of me in the volume of the books to do your will, O Lord, because sacrifices and offerings you did not delight in. So God does not delight in sacrifices and offerings, no matter how much you may think that you are giving the sacrifices. God's delight is in a heart that is right and obedient to him. Yes, God chooses us for a purpose. But it is crucial that we who have been chosen to accomplish that purpose are obedient to God. Otherwise, we will fail. Now, it is not everybody that God chooses for good. Sometimes God chooses people for bad. For example, in Romans chapter 9 verse 17, God chose Pharaoh because he wanted to show the world how strong God is against any other human being who might be great, who might be strong, who might be powerful. God raised Pharaoh up to be a mighty man all over the world. People feared him. People respected him. Then God now used that Pharaoh as a point to tell the world that there is one greater than Pharaoh. And so he put Pharaoh and his army down. So everybody knew that there's someone greater than this Pharaoh that we all think is great. That was the purpose for which God chose Pharaoh. And so the Bible tells us, Therefore he, that is God, has mercy on whom he wills. And whom he wills, he hardens. So if a person whom God has chosen for good is unwilling to obey God and he wants to harden his heart, God will help him to harden his heart the more. If God chooses you to do something and you are humble enough to say, Lord, this is a task that I need you to help me to be obedient to you, God will help you to be obedient to him. When the Lord Jesus Christ chose his apostles, this is how the Bible records it. In Mark chapter 3, 13 to 15. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12. That they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. The primary reason why the Lord Jesus Christ chose the 12 was that they might be with him. They might spend time with him. They might go about with him. They might understand him, know everything about him. And then he can send them out to preach. And also empower them to cast out Satan. Then somebody might ask, but what of Judas who betrayed him? In John chapter 6 verse 70, this is what the Lord said. Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? In choosing the twelve, Judas was specifically chosen because his nature was of somebody who was covetous. Somebody who wanted more than is given to him. And so he was chosen because they needed a traitor. Who else than somebody who would refuse to change? And that was why he was chosen among the twelve. So let us be careful that in our being chosen by God, that it is for good and not for bad. Let me conclude. God does not make choices based on human parameters. We've seen how God told Samuel, I do not look on the outward. I do not look on stature or beauty or physical strength of a man or his wealth. I look at the heart of man. I look at what is happening on the inside. His nature. Does he have that nature that loves me? Does he have that nature that is able to obey me? God chooses according to his foreknowledge of what the people he's choosing will do 
based on how supple their heart is toward him. He also chooses people based on the purpose that they should accomplish. He can choose people for good or bad. Hopefully, our choosing is for good. But before God chooses, first he would call. Like we saw in Mark chapter 3, before he chose his 12, he called those whom he would and they came to him. So the first thing is he will call. And then from the people he has called, he will then choose. By the grace of God, next time we will be discussing the issue of the call and the choosing. Let us pray. Eternal Rock of Ages, we want to thank you for the discussion that we've had today. I pray, Almighty and everlasting God, that even as you are choosing men and women for your work, you will cause our hearts to be supple towards you. You will cause us, Almighty and everlasting God, to have hearts that are in right standing with you. Hearts that would be willing and yielded to do your will. I pray, Almighty and everlasting God, that every hardness of heart that is in us, Almighty God, that you will break even by your word, which you have spoken in our hearts today. Pray, Almighty and everlasting God, that we will continue to trust you and to work with you so that your good purpose can be accomplished in our lives. Thank you, everlasting Father. In Jesus' name, I have prayed.